Welcome to the crux of investing in finance, everybody. My name is Jay, and thank you for joining me. I just want to thank each and every one of you for listening. It means a lot to me. If you haven't already, please follow our Instagram at Investonomics Education and our Facebook page at Investonomics. So please sit back, relax, and I hope you can learn something new. Before we dive in today, I just want to say that this is a primarily video-based show. So for to get the full experience, you should go to Investonomics YouTube channel, like and subscribe to the channel, and you can follow the video there for a nice visual representation of what I'm going to be talking about. Hi everyone, we're back a bit early with a bonus video this week on Evergrande's credit crisis, which is a hot topic currently in the news. So you may have heard of this in the past few weeks, either on the news or online on different forums. So what is Evergrande? That's the big question here. So what it is, it's a, one of the largest real estate development companies, and they've actually branched out, but it's the largest real estate development companies in the world, and they're based out of China. So Evergrande was founded by Hui Gaiyan in 1996, in Guangzhou, China. So currently there's over 1,300 different projects that are taking place in China to in more than 280 Chinese cities. And they're all real estate development projects, so they're all building different real estate projects. But they've expanded too quickly in recent times and into many different spaces, such as the electric car business, the food and drink business, technology, as well as manufacturing. So currently they also own Huangzhou FC, which is one of the largest football teams in China as well. And they built some stadiums along other things. Evergrande sounds very successful and well-established on paper, but it has built the real estate empire on the borrow to grow principle. So essentially this means that they're using equity in currently financed properties and properties they already own in order to leverage and buy more properties. And because of this, it's collected sky-high debts totaling over $300 billion. Evergrande currently owes money to over 300 different international banks and financial institutions. So this has created, as you can imagine, a situation all too reminiscent of the 2008 financial crisis. So this level of leverage and debt indicates that Evergrande has its roots very deep in the global financial system. And this is very concerning because it's on the verge of bankruptcy now. And this is especially true for China because over 30% of GDP annually is related to real estate. Another avenue for loans have been through the issuance of corporate bonds that Evergrande has issued. And these have recently received a large downgrade by all the major rating agencies worldwide. So alongside this, Evergrande's stock price has also deflated over 80% in the past six months, which is also not a great sign. The high debt and interest obligations alongside depreciation of the stock and bond ratings have created a vicious cycle because it further squeezes the company of money it doesn't have, and this is its means of raising capital. 
So far, this has led to the company missing an interest payment on various bonds last Thursday. And this was a payment of $84 million that it missed. So this is quite significant. Since then, a 30-day grace period has been authorized, but another $47.5 million payment is due next week. So it's starting to pile up already. And even further, the vicious cycle continues on the retail side. And this is because there's controversy about the company and that scared many Chinese home buyers or homeowners from purchasing. And this is increasing the supply in the market for housing and driving down prices, therefore. This means that rent payments will deflate over time, creating less income for Evergrande. So you can see everything is kind of piling against them now. All in all, the shortcoming of profit and the over-leveraging that they're taking part in has scared many homeowners in China, as well as bondholders, the general Chinese public, and international shareholders of the company. Evergrande is in the realm of being too big to fail, which is similar to Lehman Brothers in 2008. And this is due to bankruptcy being capable of collapsing the global financial markets due to its deep roots. It's also very important that the government step in, steps in to avoid this happening. There's been talk about this, however, that a government bailout may occur, and that would be very similar to the bailout in 2008 that happened with the mortgage issuance companies Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac back in 2008 during the financial crisis. And Evergrande would likely be restructured by the government, broken into subsidiary companies much like Standard Oil, and become government controlled. So although this is important for saving the economy, the government of China would then almost fully hold an entire monopoly over the Chinese real estate market because they own then seven real estate giants in the country. The main cause for the financial struggle has been a series of unfortunate events that have led to the demise of Evergrande. Urban property sales have been falling in China in, since the onset of COVID-19 and even slightly prior to this as well. There's also less couples getting married, and 40% less since 2013, which has reduced demand for housing as well. And there's also less need for property development because people are renovating and reconstructing their old apartments or buildings. So now let's take a look at their financials. So if we take a look at the 2020 annual report sent out by Evergrande, it's reported that there are approximately $1.6 billion in corporate bonds outstanding that are set to mature before the end of 2021. And further, $6 billion are to mature in 2022. This is already almost $8 billion in the next two years. And at the time of maturity, principal needs to be repaid as well as the last interest payment. And interest is also accruing on a quarterly basis, which means even more payments until they mature. Evergrande's balance sheet as well from 2020 shows a very thin operating margin even back then. So for 2020 the total assets were 2.3 billion dollars in 2020 and their total liabilities totaled 1.95 billion dollars in 2020. So there's some wiggle room nine months early but not much and it went downhill quickly in 2021. And the total revenue, as was seen on that annual report as well, 
was reported at $507.25 million, and gross profits were only $122.61 million. And this shows the extent of their costs, and this isn't even net profits. So on September 29th, 2021, Evergrande's enterprise value, which is the sums of all claims and claimants, such as bond and shareholders on the company, totaled $712.3 billion. And the revenue growth last quarter in Q3 was negative 16.5%. So now we'll take a look at credit default swaps, and I'll explain what these are in a moment. So in my university time, my research was heavily skewed towards corporate credit risk insurance. And this is a very big part of my focus of my research. And this is sold in the form of a security popularized during the 2008 financial crisis called the Credit Default Swap, or CDS for short. So in essence, the CDS spread or premium captures the cost of insurance. And this is essentially what they're paying as a premium. These spreads skyrocketed in 2008 for engagement firms like Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns. And something somewhat similar appears to be occurring at an early stage in China right now. So as of September 20th, 2021, China sovereign CDS spreads exceeded 52-week highs and climbed 9 basis points to 45 basis points. And basis points is just the percentage divided by 100 for reference. So for reference, 2008 premiums reached 420 basis points, so we're nowhere near this level yet as it's early on. And this indicates that although premature, investors and corporations are requiring insurance for the risk of Evergrande's default. And here we can see some graphs that depict this. And we can show that this is the CDS for China on the left, and we can see Lehman on the right. You can see the difference there. So CDS are like an insurance policy. To protect against the risk of default, an investor or corporation can hedge their position in a company by buying a CDS contract, which is a derivative security, that pays out the notional value of your position, so the entire value of your position, if bankruptcy were to occur. So the CDS premium is like an insurance premium, which is paid and quoted quarterly. Another common related measure that's used often in this case is the CDS index, which rises at times in which we have bullish markets. But recently it rose above 130, however, which is still well above pre-pandemic, which shows no, no need for concern quite yet. Now we'll take a look at some measures of fear and risk in the market. So in order to measure the strain on money markets, the US LIBOR OIS measure is often used, and this stands for the London Interbank Overnight Rate Overnight Indexed Swap, and that's a mouthful, absolutely. Its spread widens when the strain, more strain, is put on money markets. So at the peak of the pandemic, we got a high as, high as 132.5 basis points, and it's narrowed recently to only 3.2 basis points. This shows a lack of worry here. Similarly, but not measuring the same thing, is the CBOE VIX index. And you may have heard of this. And this is known as the fear gauge on Wall Street, which measures market volatility in the United States. And this also remained relatively low, around the 20 mark, 
whereas the pandemic peak yielded volatility levels and the CBOE index of over 85. So you can see here again, a lack of volatility. So in closing, the idea of a government bailout as an optional last resort, a lack of investor fear in the economy through the measures we've looked at, and a relatively low CDS and LIBOR OIS spreads, hints to the idea that the public is not yet very fearful, and this is really important. So a government takeover will likely address global concerns of a global meltdown, and it'll take care of this. And there's nothing to be afraid of just yet. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to leave a five-star rating on here. It means a lot to me. And make sure to write a little review, either what we can improve or what you liked. That helps us out a bunch. I'll see you guys next time.